0: Um, Here's where we're going to go today. Uh, Normally, what we've been doing... Uh, throughout this kind of series within a series in the Book of Ephesians, uh, has been kind of starting in the front, right? Kind of working through a verse. Uh, but we're actually going to go kind of that that verse in reverse because I think the context of the verse is so absolutely important. And it's also an idea that's a little bit difficult for us to sometimes want uh, and desire to step into and process. If you haven't been with us, what we've been doing is this kind of again series within a series, which is about us putting on the attributes of Jesus uh, and putting off the attributes of of the world. Things that are kind of Contrary and opposite to the things of God. And so um, I was watching a lot of the World Cup over the last month. Did, uh, did everyone, I mean, how many people got a chance to watch the final this morning? No. Is anyone taping it and waiting to watch it later and doesn't want me to say the score? We have a few of those. Okay. Don't say anything. Oh, I guess you don't tape stuff these days. Do you? What are you? You record it or whatever. Whatever you, whatever you young people do. Um so, uh, okay, then I, I won't say it, but congratulations to one of the teams that, that won. Um, and what stinks is you guys are really holding us back. I had a great illustration. People were going to get saved. It was going to be great. Uh, but because of you five no work of the spirit. So, uh, but I've been watching a ton of the World Cup. I, I, got to play soccer for a long, a long portion of my life. Uh, and so I love, I love soccer. And so I've been watching the World Cup a ton. And they do these interviews with the players after the game. And they're interviewing one of the players from England. It was, it was their captain. His name's Harry Kane. Brilliant goal scorer, brilliant player. Um, and he started talking about what it means to play for England. Now he plays for Tottenham Hotspur, which is another team within the Premier League in England. They're decent. Okay. They're not Liverpool, but they're a decent squad. Uh, and so he's, at, he's being asked, hey, what's it like to play for England, okay? Uh, and he said these words, and they kind of resonated with me. He said, there's just something different about putting on that shirt, right? Referring to the jersey. And there's something different about wearing that crest, uh, that for some reason it kind of heightened the expectation. It engaged kind of his heart, right? He grew up in England. He's born there, right? It's his place. It's his home. It's his culture. It's his people. And so he's playing for, for that, right? So there's just something special about wearing that jersey. And, and it really kind of began to uh, kind of pull me back to what we've been preaching on, that there's just something special about being the church, right? There's something special about wearing Jesus as we put on the attributes of Christ. And this is the real intentional language. that Paul gives us here in the letter to the church in in Ephesus is you're going to put on, you're going to wear Jesus, right? So in other words, uh, when you walk around town, if you're here and you're a Christian, if you're acting like him, people would look at you and say, ah, they're like Jesus, right? Like they represent the kingdom of God, they represent Jesus, they represent everything he's about, they embody that, it makes sense. So in the same way that Harry Kane's like, there's something different about wearing that jersey. I long for that type of heart within, well, first and first and foremost, my own heart, but then that amongst our church, that we just I mean there's just something different about having the opportunity to walk in communion with Jesus and be a representative of his in Flagstaff or Phoenix or wherever you guys call home. And it's with that kind of thrust that we're trying to push through this, this little mini-series within a series. So two weeks ago, we talked about, uh, what was it? It was truth, right? That we, that we, we put on truth, we put off falsehood. Okay? We, we, we walk and we believe in honesty and all that kind of stuff. Uh, last week was we, we put off kind of sinful anger and we put on righteous anger. That there's a certain type of way that we are to employ anger uh, in order to uh, man be righteously indignant about injustices and brokenness and respond to those as the people of God. That we can use our anger for his glory, for our joy, and for the sake of the other, and that's the context for our anger, and so this is put on these things. Today is put on generosity and put off greed and fear and the things that would drive you towards the opposites of generosity and hoarding and things like that, and so here's the thing that I'll say about generosity. Um, it's not everyone's favorite topic to listen to, okay? Okay? I'm going to read the verse, and I want to give you some context for what we're doing, uh, and then we're going to zoom in on the verse. So here we go. Verse 28 says this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, some of you right? Maybe you're visiting church for the first time in a while, and the reason why you haven't been coming to church is because every time you go to church, they talk about money and possessions and stuff. And if that's your story, sorry. Uh, That's what you're getting today. There's no way to get around it, okay? Uh, Because we're just kind of going through the scriptures and this is what we're talking about. But you have to understand that 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus spoke were about money and possession, okay? So like almost half of of the parables, the, the stories that Jesus would use to take complex ideas and make them known to us, 16 of the 38, right, were about money and possession. You have to understand that under 500 verses in the Bible are about faith, under 500 verses in the Bible are about prayer, but there's over 2,000 verses about money and possession, right? And so you might be thinking, man, well, God cares a lot about money. How greedy is God? And it's not that God cares so much about money. He just knows that we do. And so he talks to us about it a lot. And says, listen, I know this is something that you guys can't seem to disconnect from that oftentimes owns you, and so let's talk about this a lot so we can learn how to properly utilize the resources that we have been given by God. And then Paul is just the kind of next step in that in trying to convict and to move the Ephesian church to act and be like Jesus. Right? In this whole grand scheme of things, what we said is that our desire is to grow up to be Jesus, that in everything that should be our vision and our future and so if that's true generosity must be something that marks the Christian and marks the church and if it not if it's not then we have to begin to ask questions of well then who are we aligning with what jersey are we wearing because if it's not a jer- if it's if generosity isn't present I don't know if we're wearing the jersey of the kingdom of god we're probably wearing the jersey of a different nation or a different culture or a different idea okay and so that's kind of the desire for where we're going now i've heard a lot of people use the excuse that when you start talking about money and even time and possession and talent and treasure and all that stuff that we'll talk about today, uh, people say, well, this is like this is a private part of my life, right? Like, you, you, Vince, stay out of that part of my life, okay? And, and, I'm, and it's really interesting because I'll sit down with people. I've had conversations where I'll be sitting down across from a guy and I'm like, dude, you are a liar. You're a terrible person. You're, you know, I could say anything. i like, you're a monster. You're the worst thing ever. And they're like, yeah, I know. I'm so messed up. And I say, and you need to be generous. Hey, shut your mouth, right? <laughs> Don't talk to me about my money, yeah. right? And it's so weird. It's like, man, I could yell at you guys for the next hour, but the second we start talking about, hey, man, I think you're supposed to give your money to the poor, there's like, ah, but it's nuanced, Vince. I'm like, yeah, but why is that the one we always debate? Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks ago when I said, hey, guys, we're supposed to walk in truth. Like, we're supposed to walk in honesty, We're supposed to put off falsehood. No one emailed me. There was no, ah, but that's nuanced. No, it's not. Last week, it wasn't, ah, you know, with with that righteous anger thing. I don't know if it has to be righteous. No, no one nuances anger. But when the Bible's like, hey, let the thief no longer steal. Let him labor doing honest work so that because, why? He may have something to share with those in need. Ah, but it's nuanced. is it? Is it? And, and yes, it is. And we're going to parse it out a little bit. But it's just, it's curious why the, always that's the one. <laughs> when this is something that is to mark the new life of the believer that has been transformed by the Spirit. Okay? And so, and so that's, that's the context. That's kind of where we're going. Um, Derek Webb has, you guys familiar with Derek Webb? He's a kind of brilliant singer, songwriter, artist. And he, he did this live show like 15 years ago. And, uh, and his a big thing he came up, he's talking about possessions and his own and him coming into wealth and stuff. And he was talking about this idea that that we've privatized this aspect of faith, right? So like, it's our time, it's my money, it's all that kind of stuff. And so he's like, we privatized that piece. And he says, what would it look like for us to push against that? What if everyone in the church knew exactly what you made and exactly what you gave? And what if you had to show up at church and stand up and tell the congregation? Why? Because you had nothing to hide because you were a person of generosity, like, like what, what if that was, what if something we did? And so we're going to do that today. I'm just kidding. Uh, people are like, all right, let's start filing out. Okay. Uh, but, but what if that's something that marked the church? I don't mean, hide. In, in the same way where we'd say, you know, confess your sins before God and man so that there can be restoration. There can be reconciliation. And, and where it's going well, there can be exhortation and encouragement and thanksgiving. This is the same type of idea. So what Paul has done in the verses leading up to this when we did righteous anger, when we did truth, was he gives a negative imperative or command, okay, so don't do this, followed by a positive command or imperative, do this, and then he says, and this is why right? And so kind of one, two, three, A, B, C. But we're going to start with C to give us that right context. And so let me read C again. It says this, so that he may have something to share with anyone who needs. So quick context, right? The end goal of these imperatives is generosity. It's to be marked by generosity, that we'd look like Jesus as a generous person, as a generous people before the watching world. Now, the question has to become, and I want us to ask it right off the bat, is, is that what we're known for? Right. Like, like, is the church, is that something we're like, ha, huh, yeah, the church, like, they're the generous people. They're, they're the ones that seem to pour out. Oftentimes, even at a self-sacrificial level, they pour out for the sake of the other. Like, is that what we're known for? And, I, and here's the thing, in some circles, yeah. And even statistically... Christians, evangelical Christians in our country, Catholic, and Catholicism as well, Catholics and evangelical Christians give, on average, twice as much uh, of, of their income as, as non-believers, right? But, but even those numbers, I mean, don't get too excited, church, because it's like 1.2% and 2.4% or something, right? So it's not like, man, we're crushing it, right? It's we're just doubling already a pretty paltry and sad number, okay? Uh, but, but this is... This is supposed to be a thing that marks the church. There's this beautiful verse in Proverbs 11.10, and it says this. It says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. Okay, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. Now, this word righteous is the word sadakim in the Old Testament. Sadakim was denoting, when it talked about righteousness, it was talking about the people of God. Okay? When we see the word sadakim used throughout the Old Testament, it's, it's referring to the people of God. So, in other words, let me read it again: when it goes well with the people of God, the city rejoices. Now, hear me: like this, this is not uh, our church rejoices because we can buy something, right? It's no, the city of Flagstaff rejoices when the church in Flagstaff, not just Redemption, right? The people of God in Flagstaff all of a sudden start getting blessed. That's an interesting thing. Like, why in the world would the city of Flagstaff be really excited if blessings started flowing through the doors of Redemption Flagstaff in all types of ways, right? So so financially, like all of a sudden, just this huge lump of cash showed up at our front door, okay? Like why would the city be so stoked about that? Because the presupposition, the expectation, even for them then was Man, if the church gets a lot of money, that will be good for the city because they invest in those who have need. What an interesting proverb. The city of Flagstaff would rejoice when our community receives blessing because they know Genesis 12 oftentimes better than we know Genesis 12 that says we are blessed to be a blessing, not blessed to have a blessing. And so we we pour out for the sake of the other. So this is the context of which then these two imperatives uh, are are pushing us towards. So the first one, 28a, going back to the beginning of our verse, in verse 28, says this, let the thief no longer steal. Okay, so part one to how do we become a generous people individually and corporately is don't steal, right? Now now that seems somewhat easy and somewhat obvious. Just don't steal. And I think most of us in the room are thinking, ah. Like, I'm doing pretty well then. Like, uh, I I don't take money, and I don't walk into stores and just start taking stuff, although there are all, all sorts of forms of stealing. They're the ones that Anthony and I just rail on and drives us crazy is when, and we've talked about this here before, so you've heard this, then you need to hear it again. But if you get a water cup at a restaurant and fill it with soda, you're a thief, and I will report you. Okay? Okay, same thing. If you buy a movie ticket, Right? As a student, and you're not a student anymore, you're stealing. Stop that, okay? I'm not. So that's the one. Oh, you guys are like, oh, the drink thing. It got quiet and awkward. People are like, going to a movie this afternoon and bought your tickets this morning, didn't you, students? Look, because what's behind this is what's really important, okay? Um, there is a cultural reality to what's happening in Ephesus at the time uh, that, that Paul is certainly speaking to. So, so hear me. Like, if if you, if you that is you, like you are a thief, like you're out there stealing stuff from people. Stop. Like, don't don't take stuff that's not yours. That's that's obvious. that's that's a commandment, right? That's in the beginning. Don't do that. Okay, uh, if you're at, if you have a job where you handle finances, don't take even a dollar, right? Don't take a, don't embezzle money. Like these are things that should be obvious, but they come out over and over. And here what? Even in the church, where you just see these stories. where, like, hey, pastor fired for you know taking 500 grand. You know, you're like geez, like how much money was that church bringing in that they didn't notice 500 grand? This is literally like every dollar we've brought in since we got here. You know. So it's, it's just like, I, I, these things, you know, so don't do that. But here, here's the deal. In, in Ephesus at the time, you did have uh, this, this thriving cultural center. Uh, people were kind of descending upon this city and working in multiple trades and backgrounds, and it became a very competitive place, okay? And so what was happening is you had a lot of men, because the, the workforce at that point was like 99% men, okay? Um, they were losing jobs, right? Like they, they would lose their trade. A lot of times right, they would get injured and they don't have like the healthcare system that we have now. They don't have the innovation we have now. So for them to get back to work was not just a simple thing. So if they had an injury, they couldn't work. And so what was happening was these guys were losing their jobs and were like, hey, I got to eat and I got to feed my family. So they would steal. And they began to take what was not theirs. Okay. And, and even in the midst of that, Paul's like, no, we, we don't do that. Like, Christians, we don't, we don't do that. And then the question becomes, well, why? Like, what is kind of behind that? And there's some reasons that I think that even apply, not just then, but apply to us now that we need to explore. And it's all kind of heart internal or thought internal stuff. So I think there's five reasons, right, that we're driving theft and, and drive theft now or drive the, these type of ideas now. And it's greed, laziness, fear, doubt, and I'll share the fifth one in just a second. Okay, so greed, laziness, fear, and doubt. So, so greed. Listen, they, they wanted more. So they were already potentially being provided for. They had. Uh, there was an expectation that they could uh, get to a, a place of security. But no, they they wanted more. And here, there's nothing wrong with wanting or having more. There's something wrong with wanting or having more at the expense or the hurt of other people. Okay. So that's greed. The second one, laziness. Now we don't need to talk too much about this. They were just lazy. Like there's chronicled stories where you begin to hear the stories of, of, of talking about the city of Ephesus that there was this large population of just apathetic and lazy men who would not go to work. That's a reality there too. Then the third one is fear. That fear was driving some of this greed and some of this pursuit of theft, right? Because it's I, I, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my kids? What's And all these great questions. And so fear, God, will you not? So that drives theft. And then the last one, and these are all true for us, right? And the last one is doubt. And when I say doubt, I'm talking, is God not our provider? And was God not there? So when Paul's trying to encourage the Ephesian church, I think he's trying to speak beyond kind of this external level of, hey, just don't take stuff from your neighbor, and instead saying, hey, analyze your heart and see, do you believe and do you trust that God is the one that has provided all things for you and will continue to do so? Because if that's true, hear me, if if God is truly the provider of all things, and he cares for his children and his creation, Consider the lilies of the field type of stuff. If that's true, then why steal? Why skim a dime if God is the one that gives anyway? And so these questions I think were driving Paul's move to the people of Ephesus, and especially the church in Ephesus, to say, we're a transformed people now. The Holy Spirit has come in and made us new creations as we've started over. The gospel has brought us into a family where the ethic of the family is completely different from the ethic of the world. So we live differently. So do not steal. Do not be a thief. Now, the last one, okay, is Oppression. So, so in, in all this, right, you begin to see some of the things that were happening within the Ephesian city were power structures that subjugated individuals to places where they could not come up with a different idea outside of, hey, I don't want to die today, I got to get some bread, right? And so, so listen, even then, right, there was these structural power dynamics Right? these systemic injustices that existed within the Roman Empire at the time that said, you know what, you don't have that chance. And so that was a little bit different. And what we see then is that begins to tie into everything else we've already studied in the book of Ephesians, about for the need for the church to see the injustice, grow in anger about the injustice, and be a solution to the injustice. And so, hear me now, now. Now, Paul, his encouragement would still be to the oppressed: Do not steal, right? Don't, don't, don't mistrust me, and listen to me. Don't mistrust the community of faith that will rally around you. And I tell you, that becomes significantly easier for that man or that woman when the community begins to actually live the way it's supposed to. You see, all this stuff comes together, right? So it's not just, hey, like we, we want to be truthful and want to have righteous anger just because we want to be a truthful and righteous anger type of people. It's we want that because it has impact upon other people all over the place. And so this oppressive reality that many in the city of Ephesus had to live through also gets knocked down because the church is the church. And we walk like Christ walks. And we come and we serve the broken and the disenfranchised and the hurting and the pained because we care more about the other than ourselves. Right? Like, so, so again, this is all just this framed discussion. Now, I think in the midst of all this, one last thought on whether or not you're a thief or not. Okay? I'll just look to myself, and I'll look to my childhood self, and there's plenty more stories recently where uh, my father, right, when I was growing up in high school, I would say, Pop, I need some lunch money, right? And so I'd say, Okay, well, where are you going? What do you want? I'm like, Well, the pizzas are $250 at uh, the little Domino's circular pizzas. You guys have those in high school? You guys remember that? You go up to the cart, 250 sweet pizza. 250 I don't know, it was probably like $8 for some of y'all. Y'all are crazy. But 250 back in the day, you know, uh, back when us old folk, you know, when we were uh, really toiling in it. And, um, and so 2 for the pizza. And I said, Pop, you know what? I'm going to try to do that every day or something like that. So if you can give me, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks, that'd be great. Okay? And so can anyone guess what I actually did with the 15, 20 bucks a week that he gave me for lunch money? Cards. What'd you say? Pokemon cards? <laughs> Jeez, man. You wonder why I make you dress nice. Okay? No, <laughs> come dressed as Pikachu one day. It's <laughs> like, you know. I don't know why I did that. That was weird. (laughs) No, I I went and I I used my fake ID to buy beverages I shouldn't buy, right? That's theft, right? Like, would anyone deny that, that me taking something that has been given to me for a specific purpose and utilizing it for my own purpose, which was contrary to the purpose that the person gave to me, said that you could use it for, would that not be theft? That would be theft. Now, listen... Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, the Father, has so blessed you, has so blessed me with various things in life time, talent, resources, treasure. And He is mandated, this is not a suggestion, that the people of God be a people of generosity to give to those who are in need. So if we don't do it, we are thieves if we take what God has given and said, I want you to spend it on this, and it's not just this, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, like, let's look at the story of Zacchaeus, right, when Zacchaeus, if you're familiar, the wee little man, right, he gets saved as his encounter with Christ, he was a very wealthy guy, he had done all sorts of shady stuff to build his wealth against other people, oppressed so many of the minorities around, okay, and then he gets saved, he has this encounter with Christ, and he goes out, and he says, not only am I going to return what I have taken, but I will do it, It's tenfold or fourfold, whatever. He gives out way more than he took in. But what we know about the rest of Zacchaeus' life, he didn't become a poor man. He just became a generous man. He didn't all of a sudden just have nothing. He just began to realize that everything he had didn't belong to him, but rather was a steward for the sake of giving to those who were in need. And sometimes that was him, right? And hear me, the same is true for us. I don't know all of you. I don't know what you have. I'll talk about some of that in just a moment. But I do know that it is theft to not use it for the purposes of the one who gave it to you. Okay. And so I I, I read this text. And at first I was like, well, I'm doing great. I haven't haven't taken taken illegally any money from the church, you know. Uh, I I can't remember the last time, like, I, I stole something, you know. Like, maybe I'll, every once in a while I'll take Verity's charger from her side of the bed. i be like, oh, no, that's mine, right? Um, but I, I don't steal. So, But then I begin to dig a little bit deeper. I was like, uh-oh. Like, some of these thoughts and some of these emotions, these are present in my heart and in my mind, and I need to come to Christ with those. And this idea of, like, am I utilizing and spending God's money the way that he has called me to? Otherwise, I fear maybe I am indeed a thief. So um, let's look at then instead. So that's the negative imperative. Don't steal, okay? Uh, Number two, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So instead of just taking what's not yours, go and work. Like, go and get a job. Go and earn some money. Earn some resource. Like, put in the time. And even the word that you get there, labor, is literally meant, it means like, A laborious job, one with toil. The work is saying, like, it might be difficult. This is not just this, go find whatever makes you the happiest, and then hopefully you make a couple of shekels off it, and then you, you no, it's, man, go and get out there and do the work that needs to be done to cultivate this world. Now, it's going to be different for everyone. That's what's marvelous, is that God has equipped us all with different gifts, different passions, different strengths, different callings, all that kind of stuff, and so we get to engage work and cultivation in our specific fields. But I think, again, we, we kind of be foolish just to think that this was only an external, topical kind of outworking. I think there's something that Paul's trying to speak to on the internal reality as well. And I think it speaks to the way that we view work in general. Because I think what he's beginning to say is I think what you even see in the way grammatically it's connected in the Greek is that this clause, this imperative is directly attached to and tied to that C, that generosity piece so that we would see our work, we would see our career, our vocation as a blessing of generosity to the other. Some of you, and I know it because we spend time together, you hate your job, right? Like it is just this like Nonstop stop uh, grind thing, that whole hump day thing. That's you. You're posting that on Facebook. Uh, it's Wednesday. Thank goodness we're on the tail end, living for the weekend, that whole deal. Hear me. You know what changes? You know what absolutely changes your view and your love for your job is a movement from your job being about you to your job being about the other. I, I truly believe it's that simple. If your job's about you, yeah, man, that sometimes work is not great. Some of you, you got to get up really early, some of you up really late. Some of you do some jobs that are out, uh, well, I mean, not in Flagstaff in the heat, but if you work, ever worked in Phoenix in the heat, that's the worst, right? But whatever your job is, there's just things in reality, so it's like, gosh, I don't want to get up and do this. Today. I'd rather do my own thing, whatever it is. I think when we begin to see our work through the lens of the other, that what you do and what you provide in your work is an aspect of God's common grace to this world so that it would function for our society and culture's flourishing, I think we begin to move into this joy. And it's in every sector of life, no matter what you do. No matter what you do, this is absolutely true. Um, I was... um, let's see, on Facebook like five years ago, and I remember reading this status, and I don't think this person still lives in Flagstaff, so I think I can say it, but I'm not gonna even get too specific. But the, the quote was this, and I understand the driving like desire behind it and what they wanted to communicate. I think it was one of encouragement and thankfulness and all that, but the, the line was this. I am thankful for the invaluable people who have sacrificed, and in quotes, a normal life, to work as staff with, and then it was a local nonprofit, okay? Um, And I want want to think through that line because in, in, in a moment, right, it just seems somewhat innocuous, not a big deal. I want to thank those, those invaluable people who've sacrificed the normal thing to do the abnormal, extraordinary thing, which is be on staff with a Christian organization. Now, And again, this person's heart, I think, was great. Like, I I don't think there was this, like, disdain for what everyone else in the room, for what most of you do in here, because most of you don't work in Christian vocational work. I don't think it was a hatred for that, but it's that subtle reality that has seeped into the church that I think has devastated our view of work and our view of blessing of the other through our work. Because all of a sudden, if that's true and if we buy into that, that you're only doing something special if it's Christian And with a Christian organization. Well, that's just foolish. Like some of the best missionaries, presenters of the gospel, some of the most amazing people in the room that are communicating grace and mercy and love and the creativity of God and and, and the provision of God, right? Have absolutely nothing to do with any Christian organization. But they're electricians and they're teachers. And they're, they're they're baristas, right? They're servers. They're doctors. They're insert whatever you do if it's not sinful, okay? That's like one caveat, okay? Like, if you're a hit man, sorry. Like, and also, hey, I'm sorry. Like, don't. Um, we're good. Hey, you do you, bro. All right? Uh, you take that out with the Lord. I'm not going to. Okay. Um, so... Uh, (laughs) I just pictured a guy standing up and shooting me that's just so boroseful okay um, so if it's not that if it's not sinful whatever you do okay gosh man like do that for the glory of God to present an aspect of his nature to the world that you would bless the other And I would love if you guys would begin to continually think through, like, how do I use my vocation? How do I use my career? How do I use my skill set, my talent, my giftedness in whatever arena you exist in to say, this is for the sake of the other. I'm going to receive benefit from this. Hopefully you're getting paid that you should, right? You're doing work, get paid. But hopefully you're seeing it through the lens of, how do I use this for the sake of the other to bring about flourishing in my city? Joy to the individual. That you bless with what you do and what you're gifted in. Okay? And so that's that's one aspect I think that is incredible. And let me also say this: if, if you are a, a Christian, if you're a person here that does work in Christian vocational ministry, also way to go. Like it's not like that's worse than that's also phenomenal and amazing. It's just the same thing. But you gotta do it in a vocational Christian context, like I do, like Anthony does, like Amy does. Like we have the opportunity to do that man all of this. And so I think there's a piece here where Paul's trying to say, okay, listen up, like don't it's not just don't steal, but there's this internal reality to it. But it's also hey, no, labor and work and utilize that work for the sake of the other and then lastly this last piece which I think is where the rubber meets the road is with 28C, the because, the so that, the so what, 28C, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So in other words, it's not just that your work in and of itself is a blessing, it's not just that your talents, it's that, guess what, what you receive from doing that job, it should go to those who are in need. And not just, again, not all of it, you should provide for yourself, you got to provide for your family, that's, at, I mean, that's paramount, Okay. But then you begin to say, okay, well then, what's next? And the Bible continues to say, well, it's someone that's in need. And hear me, this isn't like this revolutionary idea that all of a sudden Paul pulled out of nowhere that he's just making only the Ephesian church do. If we go all the way back to Deuteronomy 15, 4 through 11, as God is crafting a people for himself and the nation of Israel, he gives out these laws of the land and does all these different things. In Deuteronomy 15, 4 through 11, when he's talking about Jubilee and talking about kind of these, this seven-year period where they would return land and cancel debt and do all this amazing stuff, he says this, there will be no poor among you For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. Now, hear me, oftentimes you hear the the verse, but Vince, there's always going to be poor among us. That's true, but that's also in this passage, so just wait. Okay, listen, okay? I'm going to start over. But there there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you and you shall lend to many nations. You shall not borrow and you shall rule over, your, uh, rule, rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him. And lend him sufficient for his need, need whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of the release is near. And your eye look grudgingly on the poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. He shall give to him freely. And your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work in all that you undertake for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Okay, this is the con- so the context of the, hey, there's always going to be poor here is, yeah, so give them stuff. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So this is not new. Okay, this, this is not a new thing for them. It's not a new thing for us. If we look at the early church, it's not just that Paul only said this to the church in Ephesus. When you read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and he has this wonderful talk about generosity and giving. He talks about how the churches in Macedonia welled up in giving to bless other churches, and it said that those Macedonian churches were in poverty. It said they already didn't have, but they saw brothers who had even less than they did, so they gave of their poverty to the other who needed more. Wow! Wow! Right? I mean, like, wow! How they must have known and loved Jesus, and understood Him. Understood that He's provider. Understood that they existed, that they were called into the family, they were blessed to bless others. Man, that's just a wonderful picture of Jesus. Now, some of this just sounds super dramatic and intense, and, 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 and I get that there's plenty of, and I, does that mean I give away everything, and it's not okay that I live in this house? No, it's not the conversation. Like, we don't need to go there. Like, just sit in this and say, no, we just need to give to the needy. We need to give to the poor, to the hurting, to the broken. We need to be about these things. If you have a great house, use your great big house to care for the needy. I don't know what that looks like, but you figure that out. Pray with your husband, your wife, your roommates, whatever it may look. How do we use this so that? There's a guy in the church. I'm not going to call him out because I think he wouldn't want me to. There's a guy in the church here, had a larger house. There's a family in town that wanted to foster Wanted to bring kids in their home because this guy who owned the house is like, I don't think my wife and I are in a place where we really feel called to do that. I don't know if we're equipped to do that, but we have this house as a resource. And so what they did, they moved out to a trailer park where they live with their kids now so that this family could move into a place and live there so that they could foster children. Wow. Wow. But the vision is, well, because we exist for the other That what we have, our resources, and I'm not saying, hear me, that's not a call and a prescriptive desire for me to say, if you have a home, you must do this. But it is a desire to say, if you have, whatever it may be, begin to crank through the thoughts and the discussions of, how do we use it for the other? How how do we be about the justice and the goodness of God to care for those who are in need? Okay. Okay. And if you need help talking through some of that, meet up with us. We'd love to talk you through that. And I'd love to learn from you because I'm not great at this. Like, I need to learn. I need to be convicted. I need to be challenged. I need people to look into my life and say, yeah, dude, but really, do you need that? Like, like what if you reimagined that in a different reality, a different vision that said, no, how do we use this thing for the sake of the other? So there's this quote from excuse me, from Ron Sider in a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, which I highly encourage you to read. It is from like 1971, and Ron Sider has come out and said, we have made positive developments in a lot of these areas, but then would also say, but there's still much work to do, but I still read this quote to you because I think it's helpful. He says this, we need to make some dramatic, concrete moves to escape the materialism that seeps into our minds via diabolically clever and incessant advertising. We have been brainwashed to believe that bigger houses, more prosperous businesses, and more sophisticated gadgets are the way to joy and fulfillment. As a result, we are caught in an absurd materialistic spiral. The more we wake, make, the more we think we need in order to live decently and respectably. Somehow we have to break this cycle because it makes us sin against our needy brothers and sisters and therefore against the Lord, and it also destroys us. Sharing with others is the way to real joy, and I could not agree more. Now, hear me. This is not any ism that the world has created, so don't put it in that category. This is not socialism. This isn't democratic socialism. It's not capitalism. It's Christianity. Like This is the way of the kingdom of God. It is completely outside the paradigms of this world. It does not make sense. You can't put it in any of the things that our culture has tried to create because it's so otherworldly. Because it's not mandated, I'm not making you give. God's saying, I'm going to transform your heart to be a generous people. I'm going to make you, justify you, make you perfect, holy, separated, brought into the family of God, secured forever. And in the midst of that gospel truth, go and give it away. Because I'm going to keep doing it. It's something the world cannot understand. But church, we should be able to, because we have and possess the Spirit of God. So, again, begin to have the conversation to ask that. Okay. I, I, I want to bring up one, one other story, oh, a couple of stories, and I know it might be giving me a couple minutes longer, and I apologize, but um, just another kind of way someone uses their home story, and that's the one that pop into my head this week. There's another family, and I won't call this person out either, him and his wife, they, they have a home. It's not extravagant or anything like that, but it is like the home for hospitality, Right? Like, if there's something that, that, like, there's some type of event, there's some type of dinner, there's some type of meeting, there's some type of, hey, we want to open up this for the sake of They're just all the time. And this is, there's just, like, multiple families like that in our church where they say, great, you want to do that? Bring it in. Let's do it. And we'll, we'll cook everything, we'll prepare everything, we'll do everything so that they create a space for love, hospitality, and goodness. Like, I literally, as I look across the room, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you guys do that and you do that. It's amazing. And so, again, that's just rethinking, why do I have this? Okay? Now, some of it, though, is going to be financial. And I want to share this quick story. And again, I won't call this person out. There's a person that, uh, that I'm really good friends with who 17 years ago got married. And they had started a business. And 17 years ago, uh, they felt like the Lord was saying, hey, we want you to give $1,000 a month. Okay, as like your tithe and your and offering. And it wasn't just to their local church. I think a more, majority was their church, but it was to different things they felt like they wanted to contribute to. Right? And they felt in that same moment where they felt called to give $1,000 a month, they felt called to give $1,000 a month more every month for every year they were married. Okay, So this is a covenant they made with God in year one of their marriage, and they've been married for 17 years. And so now they give $17,000 a month to various charities and organizations around the world. And there are months and stories where I'll talk, to and here's what, let me be very clear. I don't tell this story because, oh, wow, look at all that money. That's great and all. I tell the story because if you listen to the stories of how in a certain month, they didn't know if that 17000 was actually going to work. Right? like They were just like, oh, we think so, we should be okay. And, and, and I hate that I even have to caveat this, but in the midst of that, I'm not telling you to make foolish decisions. Right, You'll hear some people, right, you get these pastors, like they'll say, hey, you know what? You need to put debt on your credit card to make sure you give to this church. Do not do that. Amen. In fact, if that's where you're at, we will give you money. Like, Let's take up a love offering right now if that's where you're at. You. So, so don't hear this, but do hear like, Gosh, okay. This is something that the Lord has called us to, and so we're gonna we're gonna keep doing this, and we're gonna keep blessing, and we're gonna keep walking in that. And hear me. If maybe next year they're like, "Hey, we got to cut this off. Like, it's just the money's not coming anymore. We're gonna we're gonna die. Our kids won't eat. You know what I mean? Like, then don't eat. Like, I mean, no, sorry, sorry. No, I meant, <laughs> dang it. No, 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 no. I meant the other way. I meant don't give that much money. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I told that to him. I said, "That's amazing that that's what you do." But you know that, like, if you felt like you had to stop that for the sake of yourself and your family, like, continually being through the lens of generosity, with which I have no thoughts that he would ever stop being that. I'm like, then stop giving eighteen thousand. You could give a thousand again. It's not about the number, but it's about the story and the trust in God to not make decisions and to steal and to hoard and to keep to self, for reasons of doubt, for reasons of fear, for reasons of laziness or ignorance or whatever it may be. It's no, Jesus, you have provided everything, including yourself, and so because that's who you are, I will walk in generosity all the days of my life. No matter what that looks like. And all of you, have, you have different incomes, okay? You have different resources, you have different amounts of time, but I'm telling you the context for all those is to be, to bless the other, okay? Now, we land here. I'm gonna read through this one last time. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so he has something to share with anyone in need. Can anyone just, spend the slightest guess, think of who embodied this verse perfectly. You could say it. Jesus, it's Jesus. Okay, I thought that was going to be easier. That's all right. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on it. Um, Jesus. So when he was sent down to this world with a very specific mission, sent from his father, I need you to go. We're going to do something that's going to turn this whole situation upside down and that his time was to be devoted for the sake of the other. And his whole life, every story you read, was devoted to that. His dad gave him time, and he did exactly with that time as he was supposed to. He was given power, he's given resource, and obviously not much of it if you study the Gospels, but what he had was for the sake of the other, especially his life. His, his, his command, his mission from his father, you need to go and die. You're going to go and you're going to set the captives free. You're going to restore sight to the blind. You're going to win back a lost creation and restoration. You're going to set in motion a trajectory where a people will be gathered in one final swoop to come together to present the story to the world so that everyone would know the love and salvation of God. And to move us forward into a day where we get to live forever together with that said creation, and Jesus did not deter from that mission for one second. He did not steal time, He did not steal resource, He did not steal finance. He used it all for the sake of the other. And hear me, Ready? He lives in you. He lives in me. Some, some, this seems like so difficult sometimes. It's like, no, and, and Jesus is like, I know it's difficult. So when I left, I didn't really leave. I, I left my spirit with you so that you could maybe find a way to walk in the way I've walked and act in the way I love the way I've loved, care the way I've cared, and give the way I've given, which has poured out absolutely everything for you. And for me, and for a lost creation world, the generosity of God does not just come when he gives us stuff. It is evident and apparent in the beauty that he gave himself. And in giving himself, he gave us a chance for us to emulate him. That is the beauty of this gospel-centered reality. Again, that is not attached to anything this world can. It is a gospel reality that transforms the heart of the believer to well up in this type of life. This type of kingdom ethic. What would it look like if all of a sudden the church started just living and acting out of, what, out of who we really are and who we're really possessed by? Not even in that, that we would just, hey, let's get excited and let's give more. It's what if we really just began to understand that we don't make decisions out of fear and doubt. We make decisions out of trust and faith and the gospel which sets us free to be a generous people. Let's pray.